This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, my little fromage phrase. We're moving full steam ahead, setting sail for the release of my greatest hits in its entirety in October. I had to add another date to me Clapham Grand Show because it pretty much sold out in a heartbeat. We'd love to see you all there. Now, we're on episode six. Oh my God, we're having so much fun recording these. And we hope you're having as much fun listening and you're telling your friends and you're spreading the words. You've got to give us reviews. You've got to give us a like. You've got to do all that business to keep the Duchess at the top of the charts. The weather in Canvey's on the turn. Nippy as hell. It's ever so cold here. Hot water bottles sold out in Robert Dias. It's a nightmare. I'm very proud of Milky, though. This week he started an expressive dance course at the church hall. And Lorraine, the teacher, oh my God, she's ever so impressed with him. She said he dances with the grace of Wayne's sleep and the gesticulation of Ainsley Harriet. He's even coming as leotard today. No, no, don't start doing it now. It's a cob pass. Today's guest is one of the founding fathers of modern British television. From the League of Gentlemen to Doctor Who, Sherlock, Dracula, he's an actor, writer, and from a distance... One of the loveliest human beings in the business. <laughs> Welcome to the show, the gorgeous Mark Gatiss. Hello. It's only me and Milky having a clap up here. In your little booth, your little booth looks very busy. I, I know no one can see it, but it looks very crowded. Is that like guitars and stuff? Oh, yeah, we've got a couple of guitars in here. The reason I said, Mark, that you're a gorgeous man from a distance is that oh. I don't know you. We ain't never met. You might be an absolute tyrant in the flesh. I've got a feeling you won't be. I'm smiling. For the benefit of the listeners, he's got a lovely <laughs> smile on his face. We haven't met, have we? You know, whenever whenever there's a murder and they interview the neighbours and they always say, oh, he was always a quiet one. It's always the quiet ones, isn't it? So you've got to be careful, well, it is. really. But it's funny because my friend Monica Dolan, do you know her? She's an actress. Yes, indeed. Oh, she's gorgeous. She is. Rosemary West. She's one of them people, but it's always drawn to the darkness. Do you know what I mean? But she's got a gorgeous soul. Yeah, yeah. But she's drawn to the darkness. I'm like that. I, well, I get that feeling. Yeah. She thinks yeah. she's a little bit better than me because she's got a BAFTA. But like I say to her, I've got a Smash <laughs> Hits award. Same thing, no? Have you? Oh, yeah, I've got a couple. Whose is it? <laughs> it's mine, you cheeky bugger. <laughs> Do you remember Flexi Discs? I've still got a Flexi Disc from Smash Hits of John Fox's record, My Face. And it... It was a flexi disc, and it had a, such a the needle would bounce off it whenever I tried to play it. Still got it. Oh, are you you haven't got a Diane Chorley flexi disc? I, I, obviously not. Where I mean, send it now. I will. I did get out from the trunk. Yeah, they're pro- they're probably somewhere. God knows what they used as draft excluders. Probably. <laughs> what about what's that thing they used to have? Those big silver discs that used to watch the TV or uh, the films off scan discs. Is that what they was called? Um, video discs. Well, yeah, yeah. No one, no one ever had one, did they? No one ever really had no, one. No, they didn't, but they're collectibles now, I'll tell you that. For yeah. Absolutely nothing. Now, when it comes to writing, you are a bit of the Prince of Darkness, aren't you? It's well documented. Mm. 2020 
It's about as bleeding terrifying as life can get. How to horror writer get his kicks in 2020? Oh, God. It's a very good question, Diane, because, you know, you've got to ask yourself, what do people want? Do they do they want stuff that it's in any way reflects this terrible time? Or do they want to be totally... As my dad says, I want to be taken out of myself, Mark. And do they do they want to forget about it all or have some sort of interesting, you know, reflection on it? I don't know. I've I've said this, I said this at the beginning of lockdown when people were sort of despairing about it all, but you have to remember that interestingly, the first great horror boom in cinema was during the Depression. And although people did want to go and see Busby Barclay movies, they also wanted to see Frankenstein and Dracula. And it's a strange mix. It's not quite what you'd expect. You'd think people would... It's like on uh, apparently Netflix's first big hit or um, streaming services' big first hit during lockdown was the film Contagion. Oh, yeah. And you'd think people would want to go a million miles from it, but they didn't. They wanted to watch it, maybe for tips. <laughs> but it's a it's a strange mixture. Nobody really knows. I think the, I think the key to it is that when things do hopefully get back into production, what we'll get is uh, interesting stuff which will reflect where we are, but it'll be about isolation. It'll be about, it won't be so on the nose, you know, until Nicolas Cage makes a film called COVID in 2025, and then that'll be the sort of end of the cycle, you know. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm very good friends with Nicholas Cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we've had a pit of, yeah. we've shared a pit of bread or two in the past. He's a lovely man, wandering hands. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you haven't had any ideas based on all this COVID business? Not based on this. I have, I have actually written a horror film during lockdown, which I'm oh, really? very excited about. Got any exclusives? Go on. It's an exclusive, but it's nothing to do with uh, COVID or lockdown. It's, it's an escape from it all. Oh, is it? Can we got? Yeah. Have you got any little tidbits you can give us? I love I a tidbit. I can't because you know the the deal will go down. Oh, would it? <laughs> There's always a deal going down in my world. There's when, always. Yeah. When was so? When was the last time you was really, you know, really terrified, really scared? Just just now talking to you. Just now. Oh, stop it. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I find the the last horror film that really scared me was probably oh actually this is a re- a film I love I think it's still on Netflix it's called Under the Shadow it's an Iranian British horror film and it it's not at all what you'd expect I I actually I started watching it not knowing what it was at all and it's like beautifully made it's set in in, in like 1980 and then suddenly about half an hour in you think oh my god this is a ghost story and it's really really frightening and I thought it was a terrific piece of work, but it's it's difficult to to find things. I, I'm I'm quite sort of I'm quite hardened, you know. It's, it takes a lot to frighten me. I mean, if you jumped out of a cupboard, I'd probably jump out of my skin, but that's a different story. <laughs> Trust me, most most people would jump out of their skin if I come out the cupboard. Yes. I'll tell you that for nothing. I've got to ask you a question. Why were you in prison? I, I've been listening to the podcast and you keep making references and I don't know why you were in prison. Is that I can't, a personal question? I can't tell you. Oh shit. If they give me a TV series. Maybe I'll tell you. But yeah, until yeah. that day, I've got to keep it a secret. I've got my dignity. You could do flashbacks, couldn't you? Like in um, Within These Walls or uh, Prisoner Sublock H. That would be good. Put it this way. It involves Grace Jones and a flamethrower. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. But since you're one of them people that is always working in, in the ghostly stuff, you know, a bit dark, the Prince of Darkness, like I said. Do you believe in ghosts? Have you ever seen a ghost? I... Um... Is it really good? 
I, I wrote a ghost story several years ago, and the opening lines are, do you believe in ghosts? And the other guy says, no, but I'm afraid of them. And that's what I always say. I do and I don't. I I don't think there's any kind of afterlife. I don't think people have souls or anything like that. I think I think there's something in it. Um, but the weird thing is, as soon as you start talking about it, the language you use is kind of like from science fiction. So it starts to sound a bit kind of crackers anyway. Yeah. But I, I could I could sort of believe that 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 time looped and uh, I tell you a story. This is a true story. My late sister's friend used to work um, in the had a summer job at, uh, in a an, an air base in the northeast of England, where I'm from. And she used to get the bus to work every early every morning. And one day she got off the bus. I remember her saying this. She got off the bus. She t- walked around the corner, and in front of her on the airstrip, there were all these men in um, bomber jackets, basically World War Two pilots just sitting there with their feet up, reading newspapers, smoking pipes. And then a, a, a siren went off and they all jumped up and ran towards the, the airstrip and just faded away. And that that is like, who knows, that, that seems to me weirdly entirely plausible that that somehow something that happened there in, in the war would somehow happen again. It's a bit like my flexi-disc of John Fox. The needle jumped... <laughs> And it went back again. And if you, I mean, if genuinely, that's what quantum physics is all about, is about multiverses and... Yeah, and loops so, in time, yeah. Yeah, so weirdly, it, it, the, high, the higher end of science be, sort of believes in it. Yeah. The other end is, is basically superstition. But I have absolutely no time for the fucking terrible place we find ourselves in which people believe that crystals can cure cancer and that viruses don't exist and that we didn't land on the moon. I, I hate those people with such a passion. I want to roll up a copy of New Scientist and stuff it into their eyes. Well, that, <laughs> that, that would be something I'd watch on Channel 5, I tell you well, that. Well, yes. I've got commission, yeah, obviously. <laughs> the irony is that I think I get... People do escape through horror. I get ever so excited. Do you know what I love doing? Walking in the middle of the... Well, walking late at night, you just have a little look in all these people's living rooms. And my imagination, oh, my God, it goes off on one. I'm thinking, who are you? Why are you sat there? Who's that person with an axe stood behind you? That kind of thing. I love it yeah. all. I thought I saw a ghost once. I was at Fatima with Bread. Do you know her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 40th birthday. We was down in some country mansion. It was a lovely spread. I'm not complaining. Someone had left in the prawn in the hummus, but I had a nice night. I got up in the middle of the night. I was thirsty. I was on the hunt for some Lucasade. I hear, a, I hear a little noise coming from outside. I go and have a look. There's a presence. Do you know what I mean? A presence. All the air in back of my neck stood up. I was terrified. I saw this ghostly thing looking at me. It looked like one of them, one of them boglings. Do you know that little animal thing they used to buy? Oh, yeah. It looked like a bogling. It was coming at me. I felt this strong sexual presence. You know, like it would come from another planet. Something horrible had happened there. It came closer. It came closer. Do you know who it was? Phil Collins. Mick Hucknell. <laughs> oh, yes. Not it was Mick off. Hucknell. He'd yeah, lost yeah. his teeth. He didn't know yeah. where he was. He was up looking for a glass of water like me. I've got a lot of time for Mick Hucknell, but you don't want to meet him in an alleyway in the middle of the yeah. night. He's bleeding terrifying without his teeth in. I'd say, being, uh, you know, not being uncharitable, but I don't think Mick Hucknell has aged well. That's what I'd say. God, no. He looks like someone's taken <laughs> sucked all the air out of him. Yes. 
looks like one of those things. You know when you buy a duvet and you put it in one of those little plastic things, you suck it <laughs> yes, out with a hoover? Yes. It's not hydrated enough. That's his problem. I'd like one of those. Like, I, I, I've seen those adverts on, on telly, you know, between the adverts for um, high chairs and death that they have on afternoons. and Oh, yeah. Uh, Pensions. They're very attractive, those. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's JML. JML. That's why I yeah. can never could go into Robert Dias because yeah. I can't resist buying something that's got a little screen attached with a little story mm. of how to use it like a power hose. I can't go anywhere without buying a power hose. That's yeah. my problem. I've heard that. Now, you live with your gorgeous husband. Yes. Ian Hallard in London, don't you? Yeah. Not far from me in Canvey. You should get the C2C yeah, yeah. down. I'll put you up in the caravan park. We did go to Canvey Island once. I remember we took our old dog there. And it, it was like we were trying to get to the nearest bit of sea. Or, and it was very, very, very muddy. That's what I remember about it. That sounds like It's very too. muddy. Yeah. Well, the old mud yeah. flats of Canvey. We've lost yeah. a lot of people to that. You didn't lose yeah, your yeah. dog there, did you? No, you said it was dog. your old dog. It was very Dickensian, though. It was like you could imagine people sort of submerged in black mud up to their necks. It was quite exciting. There was a big flood in Canvey right back in after, I think it was just before the war. Everything, everything was submerged. It was terrifying. This was just before the war. You'd love that story. You should look it up because there was only mm. a few people what survived. It was heavenly. There are a lot of ghosts there. There's a lot of ghosts in Canvey, I tell you. It's, it's quite a creepy business. But the pair of you, you're a gorgeous pair of fellas. I've got to get it off my chest. <laughs> I thought to myself, when I saw a picture of you both, I thought I wouldn't mind being the pastor in that lasagna. Do you know what I mean? You're a right oh, gorgeous pair. Yeah. Bechamel, bechamel sauce. I don't know what that is, but yeah, sure. <laughs> the creamy white sauce is what you're getting. And yeah, that's disgusting. But Islington's did you eat out? Very, yeah. Sorry, go did, you eat, did you eat out to help out? Oh, uh, here's an interesting thing. Um, yes, not not actually, not deliberately. I mean, not deliberately during those days because I'm, we just try, we've got a, a lovely local place we often go to for Sunday dinner. We tried to go there and spend as much money as possible, you know, to just to help out. But the actual scheme has been slightly stymied by the fact that there's a restaurant across the road from us, and they had a eat out to help out poster made actually with Boris Johnson's face on it. And I've, I thought they're probably going to stop more people from going in. <laughs> I wanted to go and of say course. to them, take, take this poster down. Do not advertise it with that dreadful man's face. Otherwise, it won't help, you know. I tell you what, I haven't, I haven't laid a finger in the kitchen for the past month. Mm. Ever so cheap it is. You go into Weatherspoons, you get a four-course dinner for about 50p. I'm as big a job of the hut now. I put all my weight on, on my thighs. Do they have to take a wall out to get you out? Yeah, I'm like a pizza slice, my bottom yeah. half. Oh. That's where I put the weight on, Mark. It ain't pretty, but I enjoyed it. I find it. that very hard to believe, Tyler. Very oh, hard. I'll show you when the cameras are rolling. You'll love it. Okay. So <laughs> speaking of, you know, all these kind of films, what you make now that are all inspired by the darkness and all that malarkey, you do tackle all the iconic British characters, didn't you? Like Dracula, Sherlock, Doctor Who. Why is it that you keep bringing these, these characters back to life? You know, bring giving them a bit of a resurgence. What is it about them that makes you so desperate to tell those stories again? They're out of copyright. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, obviously, Russell brought back Doctor Who brilliantly, and I was, I'm was i a lifelong fan, so being part of that was a was just a dream come true, so that's a very different thing. Sherlock Holmes was a childhood passion of mine and Stephen Moffat, and we just thought we'd reinvent it by you know, by bringing it up to date, it sort of brought it back to how it was originally in a funny kind of way. And then Dracula was a similar thing. I mean, we were both big fans of 
horror movies and it, it seemed like a fun thing to do. But it's not, it wasn't like, we haven't got a list of British icons to tackle, you know. Otherwise, we'd obviously, we'd be doing, we'd be doing uh, Gracie Fields and uh, Lady Di and things like that, you know, which nobody wants to see. Um, but Well, Netflix do. Well, maybe they would. Gracie Fields and Lady Diana Spencer solve crimes from beyond the grave. That's quite good, actually. Oh, that's good. Put it down. <laughs> it's going down. Who else could um, you do? Russ Abbott? Russ it, Abbott and Bella Emberg? Yes, the, the Madhouse Years. You could do that. I'd you? watch that. Um, I'd watch that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I mean, some, some of it is genuinely that thing of like, you know, the, and the reason that people do go back to the big names, big titles is because they are free. Oh, so you're not joking. It's because they're out of copyright. No, no, it's true. I mean, not just that. Um, Sherlock Holmes is the most filmed character in all fiction. Dracula is number two. And so if you go anywhere, in, almost anywhere in the world, they'll know who, you, who these characters are. So you've immediately got a, a way in. And some of the, in Sherlock Holmes, for instance, is huge in the Far East, always has been. And so you've got an immediate access point there. Um, although interestingly, we went to China last year. It seems impossible now. I, we didn't bring the virus back with us. You, th- you think you, you think you didn't? Yeah. <laughs> and um, to sell Dracula to, to to Chinese TV, and the amazing thing was, quite a few didn't know who Dracula was, and it, you realise then that you're sort of, you, you know, you're starting from a di- very different point where if, if you're saying it's it's dracula but we're doing this with it, it it's if you don't know who dracula is you go so does this vampire <laughs> it was a bit odd in fact the, the and the companies who eventually bought it were none of the ones we actually spoke to it was it was quite challenging but interesting to see to see beijing i've always wanted to see china and it was very interesting it wasn't at all what i was expecting it was very it was like toronto it's incredibly clean astonishingly modern and very, very westernised. And you kind of look around going, wow, this is amazing. And then you go back to your hotel and you can't Google anything because it's not allowed. And then you, then you suddenly realise what it's all about. It's, it's not, not quite what it appears. But, you know. No wonder they're not heard of Dracula, the YouTube sensation. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, though, as well, is that you do bring a new modern, fresh twist to all of these shows. But what I don't understand is, why don't you write... Because you've written some of the most iconic characters in TV history of your own. You know, all the League of Gentlemen characters, they've got a place in the canon. One of the favourite things which you did a few years ago now, and it was it was like a like a graphic novel, and it was called The Vesuvius Club. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, it's actually got quite a big following now, and it had that, that character, and it. it was like a bisexual secret agent in mm-hmm. Victoria, Lucifer England. Box. Lucifer yeah. Box. Now, yeah. that's a great character. Have you ever had any any interest in turning that into a film or anything? Because it's ever so popular online. I have, yeah, but it's 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 funny how these things go. You know, there was there was an initial interest uh, from I, I can't name names of TV companies, but there was an initial interest, and and I spent quite a long time on that, and then it, that sort of fell apart as they do, and then a few years later, another one. Um, and that fell apart because the, the, that awful thing happens where the person who was interested left and, and then the new person came on and just sort of swept everything off their desk, you know, they do. But, and then not very long ago, about two years ago, I had some interest from America and I was initially kind of rather thrilled and then the strangest thing happened. I, uh, I did a version of a script of the Vesuvius Club and all sorts of things and then 
they sent me some notes and it was very, it was fine. It was all fine. But I, I suddenly realized, I thought, you know, I don't want to do this. It's, it's too long ago. Having had two goes at it, which didn't work, it just suddenly, I thought, God, it's about 15 years ago since I wrote this. And I just, it, it just, all the, all the fun of it had kind of gone. And I thought, God, if this, if this one doesn't work, I'll just have spent years not making this program. But so was, was they interested in keeping him like as a, a bisexual character? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and of course, you know, that's the thing. It's, I mean, initially, you can never, you never, you can never tell. You, everybody always says, you know, this is perfect. Don't change it. Here's how you must change yeah. it. So, um, as far as I could tell, early on, it was definitely going to be preserved as the character being bisexual and being all those things. But who knows? Down the line, they might have started saying, you know, there's a very famous story about. Um, have you ever seen Alan Bennett's brilliant film of? Um, of Joe Orton's life, prick up your ears. Oh no, I'll have to, I'll have to oh, check it's, that out. It's a fantastic film, but he, it was made in 1987. It almost happened quite a lot earlier, something like 1981 or something like that. And it was quite a long way down the line until the American producer said, okay, two things. Does he have to be a playwright? Does he have to be gay? <laughs> and then the film didn't go any further, you know. So who knows? You know, at some stage, Lucifer Box might there might have been a discussion about whether he could be played by Michael Douglas and uh, and have a wife and children. I don't know. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Though that a lot of the American, like Marvel, they ain't fra- they ain't afraid of taking risks of having gay or queer characters in their thing. But I don't know if England is really, you know, there's a weird thing about the way they see queer characters in England. And to make one of them the central role of like a to be a superhero is something you probably wouldn't see very often in the UK, is it? That's- I don't know. I think things are definitely changing. It's just, it's interesting, you know, there's a, especially like with the Marvel stuff or lots of American TV, there's, there's such a sort of, there's such a movement behind it. You know, uh, the new Star Trek series has just announced its first non-binary character and mm. uh, first trans character, I think, and stuff like that. So, you know, there's a. They know without being too cynical. You also have to think they know who they're making it for, and that there is a there's a big head of steam behind these things. You know, it's it's partly genuine altruism and partly wanting to make progress and be different. And it is partly, you know, it's interesting. I, I heard what you were saying to Russell on your podcast about about pride uh, being hijacked by um, mm. big firms. And I kind of I I do agree with him about you know it's it's much it's important to get these people on side and this this is a capitalist society etc. But at the same time, I know what you mean because I think you know if some of these firms if if they realise they could actually earn one pound fifty more by having a T-shirt that says "Burn Gaze," they would do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And I do, but I do sometimes think that some of this stuff is is an agenda that's driven by a different it's really driven by money you know and, yeah. and they they are they're also thinking well um which part of our demographic is going to spend money on merchandise and if we have this character this character this character yeah but i'd say it's somewhere between the two i think it's altruism and also capitalism i think as well with marvel and those kind of big american things they're ever so in touch with their fans through the forums and all of that they've got a real contact and a lot of their fans are asking for those things and a lot of their fans believe that and really push it like Taylor Swift. She's ever so good at talking to her fans, seeing what they want, and she supports that cause. And I've got a lot of time for that. You know, mm. it's a beautiful thing. It's interesting one... though because sometimes it's kind of you know that can also be very dangerous because then you sort of 
you know, making a program, making a movie, making a writing a play or anything, it's not a democracy. I mean, you, you, you work with great people and you have a great team and all those things, but it's it's about a vision. And, and I think there is a danger. If you sort of say, this is a free-for-all and you invite everybody in, then all you're going to end up with is a, is a mess, isn't it? You, you, you're going to have so, so many different voices and opinions. So oh, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not telling you to give them a chapter each. Let's not get carried <laughs> away. You know, I know my limits. What I'm saying is they poll, they poll the people and they listen to what they're saying on yeah, all the yeah, forums yeah. and all those kind of things. Something like Marvel, they can do it because they know they're all saying they're not going to lose out. I guess where people like the BBC are a bit more worried because they've got more people to please and all that. Not that I'm slagging off the BBC. I've got a lot of time for the beep. You know, a lot of time. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But the big, the big institution that you've not had a little finger in the pie of yet, which I'm surprised, even though you, you've been in a bomb film, haven't you? No, I God, I've never I been in one. It. No, uh, that's I what I can't. That's what I can't believe. Yeah, you and Bond go together like I don't know, like sushi and soy sauce. Correct. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I know it's disgraceful, isn't it? Um, it's a strange thing for a puff to like James Bond, but I've always loved James Bond. I would love to work on a Bond film in some capacity. You know? Yeah. Imagine if those James Bond was gay. Well, there's a very good bit in Skyfall, very unexpected bit in Skyfall, where Javier Bardem starts feeling Daniel Craig's thighs. And he says, he's sort of aggressively flirting with him. And Bond says, what, what makes you think it's my first time? And it's really quite startling. I mean, he went to Eton, so obviously it wasn't his first time. <laughs> but it's really, it's, it, that's quite, that, was quite a, that was quite a moment, I thought. That was quite a moment. I'll be renting that tonight, I tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure after this one, because it's Daniel Craig's last one, they'll be thinking again about how to totally reinvent it. I think, I think they're prob- I think they'll probably go for a sort of tall, dark, handsome Bond again. Maybe something a bit more escapist because the the, the times we're living in are so grim. They might want. Mm. To- I think. I think what it needs is a bit a touch of Roger Moore again. It needs a bit of fun. Well, do you know what? It's funny you should say that because I did a. I did a Horlicks advert once with Roger Moore. Did you about 1985? And he was coming on to me. Oh, my God, it was appalling. He said, you've got gorgeous ankles, Diane. I said, I know, Roger. Thank you. He said, they're a bit dry. I said, all right, Roger. Know your place. He said, come back to me little room. I've got a big old pump action E45 cream. I'll give him a good seeing down. I realised on this day, you've got to treat people like Roger Moore. You've got to treat them mean to keep them keen. Next thing I know, I'm on a plane going to L.A., 
They wanted me to be a Bond girl. No. They did. And I went and had the, well, I didn't have the audition because when I was on the plane, I was sat next to that. Do you know that Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah. Oh, my God. He was sat there drinking a pint of egg. <laughs> I said, all right. I said, all right, Arnie. He said, I'm all right, Diane. I haven't seen you in a while. I said, I know. You've been having a little break. He was working on his muscles. Oh, my God. The plane sets off. Concord it was. No expense spared. There was a kerfuffle coming from the back of the plane. I could feel. Arnold, he went all tense. I went, are you all right, Arnie? He said, no, don't look now, but there's a commotion at the back of the plane. I said, I can hear it. I said, who is it? He said, it's Grace Jones. Oh, my God. She was kicking off something rotten. She didn't have a little eye mask. I can hear the commotion getting closer and closer. Arnie's so terrified, he lets one out. Oh, my God, it smelled like an omelette. It's getting closer and closer. The commotion, the trouble. I'm getting panicked. I thought, I can't not look at her. I had to look at Grace. I, it's right behind me. She's kicking off. I looked at her. I made eye contact. She said, what are you looking at? I froze. I said, I'm looking at an icon. From then on, we were best friends. We'd sit in her yeah. apartment in New York. She'd order in the pizza supply. We'd sit there and play boggle until the days turned into nights. I'll tell you what the best time in my life that was. But, but the, is, that what, is that what led to the flamethrower and the jail sentence? No, that's a different story. I'll have to. I'll have, well, when I do me when I do me musical, you'll have to yeah. come along because I was supposed to do it in London, but then it got locked down. But you, so you were going to be a Bond girl, and then Grace Jones got it instead. Let's not go there. Okay. The other thing, the other thing you and I have got in common, apart from the fact we ain't never been in a Bond film, is that you're a good old working class boy, aren't you? Yes, I am. <laughs> I, uh, I interestingly last year I was having a conversation with someone from BBC and he said he was he was talking about what people's expectations were of TV and and he said um he said but the thing is that they you know they can't be all posh like you and me Mark I said I'm not posh what the f-? and he said well, well you went to Cambridge and I went no no and and it's not the first time people have, they just expect that they just assume it they do don't they and I can't bear it you know have you ever felt you know, that being working class, have you ever felt a bit nervous about being in that industry because you are working class or because you came from that background? Have you ever felt that intruder syndrome, you know, like you you shouldn't really be there? No. I mean, you know, it's an interesting thing because, you know, our, our way in was through the League of Gentlemen, which, and it was obviously all about being authentic to where we came from. There was nothing uh, artificial about that. We weren't pretending to be Northerners. It was all based on our own individual northern experiences and i remember alexi sale saying that when he first started working at the bbc that um he, he just he hated being surrounded by so many oxbridge people but eventually he said eventually you've got to make your peace with it because you can't move for the bastards <laughs> but it's not even it's not it doesn't even have to be it doesn't even have to be like too kind of pejorative there's a lot of lovely people it's just that the, there was there was such a tradition going way 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 back where uh, they would just, they would basically just give a radio show to whoever had been in Cambridge Footlights that year and things like that. And that was yeah. just the way it was. It goes right, right the way back to Beyond the Fringe and Python and everything. So that was quite, quite difficult to just sort of push past that assumption. I remember an early review of, uh, of the league from Time Out. And again, they assumed we were all kind of Oxbridge and it was like, it was like, it was incredibly difficult just to say no. We're really not, and um, so I'm kind of. Of course, you I, I, you all you all met, didn't you? In a in well, like Sheffield University, it was like the it was the the acting college. Yeah, Leeds. Yeah, Leeds. Sorry, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but it was, um, it was, you know, it was difficult to sort of make ourselves heard in that way, except I guess because the show was really authentically Northern. Um, yeah. But I used to, I used to sort, of, I used to spend a lot of time sort of trying to say there was no, you know, there was no difference between it. And then I think increasingly, I think the North is very different, and it's something that's actually worth celebrating. It's quite a nice, it's quite a nice thing to have come from there and and think oh, about course. those differences, you know. But also, your that unique way of you telling those stories as well was was strangely so. Well, it was it was so unique because of that area that you came from and the way I think that you came about doing it. It was fearless. It was reactionary to what you was experiencing in the places you lived. And I think that made it so authentic and it made it so amazing that, you know, these people, only you could have had that story. And that's what's so amazing about it, in my word. Oh, that's very kind of you. What, what I also yeah. love, though, and I know I'm butting in a bit, but I'm getting a bit passionate. <laughs> I can't help it. But when you did this thing, you did um, you did like monologues. Queers, yes. Yes, queers, that's what it was. But you gave yeah. a platform to all these writers who had never written for TV before, and I thought that was such mm -hmm. a wonderful way of you getting these people back into, well, giving them opportunities that they might not have gotten otherwise, you know. Thank you. Well, that, I mean, that was, a, that, that was a thing that I got genuinely very excited about, was there, there are so few um, slots like that on television now. They used to be, it used to be a lot easier um, there was a sort of road from radio to telly and but there was just so much more stuff there were you know you people would would get a job writing for um casualty or something and or, or there were just loads of plays and things there were, there was a way of getting on but mm. those things have those things have really shut down so the chance to have like uh seven or eight slots uh for writers who I knew but who had not written for TV yeah, uh, it was it was a mark. It was a golden opportunity. And I wish there were more of them because it was it was such a delight. It's a beautiful thing. I'm uh, immensely proud of Queers. Uh, it was a very happy time and a brilliant thing to curate and bring all those stories together. So uh, I'd love to do some more. I'd love to do some more. I thought it was just beautiful. Shows you giving back, and I like that. And of course, you do you do give back a lot anyway because I know that you do a lot of charity work. I don't like to talk about that. Um, of course you do. Gorgeous people like you, like George Michael, never spoke about it as well. I said, tell them, George. He said, no, I don't. I know you don't like doing it, but it's you do the LGBT switchboard. You do a lot of work for them, don't you? Oh, well, no, my partner, Ian, does, yes. And, and I'm a patron of that. But it's also a kind of, I don't know, uh, uh, I think, you know, it's 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 very important to give back in every way you can, and certainly, what we've been trying to do during the lockdown pandemic is is support our local theatres as much as possible because they're all faced with extinction. You know, it's it's really frightening, uh, and it's a it, it's been such a struggle to get the government to understand how much an incredible amount of money entertainment puts into the economy. You know, it's yeah. it's shocking. Yeah, more people went to the theatre last year than went to see live football matches. It's just no, an astonishing fact. Uh, and yet, trying to convince people, and and the, you know, you can hear them rolling their eyes when you mention the arts, and you think, God, this is it's it's a losing battle. But if you you just have to you just have to talk money and just get and just say, look, it's it's just it's about live the live experience. And just those cash registers ringing. I, I was in, I went into town for the first time a few months ago uh, to pick up a picture that I was having framed. And the guy had come in specially 
to open up the shop. And he was literally in the middle of, uh, you know, just off Leicester Square, opposite Martins Lane. And he said, there's no point in me opening the shop at the moment because literally everything around here is dependent on the theatres. These restaurants won't open without the theatre. It's, it's an infrastructure. It's, it's an ecosystem, you know. Yeah, I mean, we're doing this show at, you know, the Clapham Grand in a couple of weeks. You could, you know, we'd love for you to come along. I can't we'll leave you the a, house. Yeah, I'd love we'll to. We'll get you a couple of tickets. <laughs> are you like me? Are you, are you shielded? I've got I've got an underlying condition called uh, laziness. <laughs> That's it. Well, I just go around with a nice bottle of um, Silic Bang and I just spray that a nice little yeah. orb. I've got a little orb yeah. going, a Silic Bang, and that kills off most of the germs. 99% up yeah. here. I hear Lost, that, yeah. Well, we could form Lost a bubble, couldn't we? We could oh, bubble. you can come in my bubble anytime. Milky's there. He, he's a bit <laughs> sticky, but he's a good fella. I'll give him yeah. that. So what can we expect in the future from you? Anything exciting coming up? I know you just done Dracula. It was ever so popular, ever so good. Anything else? Um, well, I don't know. We, I mean, genuinely, my whole year has been wiped out. I was supposed to be directing Stephen Moffat's first play in the summer. Oh. Um, I was doing my version of A Christmas Carol. That's that's moved to next Christmas. Um, so uh, I, I really, it's hard to predict at the moment, isn't it? I don't. I mean, I've got a few fingers in pies and a few things, but I, I mean, I, I would hesitate to predict anything at the moment because it might all fall apart to end on the, on the downbeat note. <laughs> well, yeah. On that note, uh, <laughs> well, no, it's been gorgeous talking to you, Mark. I know you're busy and you've got a lot on. So we ain't going to keep you too long, but you've been a gorgeous guest. I adore you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Ped. It's been a real pleasure. But you've been a star. I adore you. If you ever want to come to the show, drop me a line. I'll have you in a heartbeat. I'd love to come and see the show. Let me know. Bring that gorgeous husband of yours along as well. You know what I mean? Don't forget the pasta in the lasagna. Yeah, yeah. I've not forgotten. (laughs) All right, my gorgeous babe. Thank you, Mark. Adore you. You too. Take care. Lovely. See you later. Bye. Now, when I wrote The Dagon of Mice, I was in the Elan Gallop pub in Bromley with my gorgeous boy Ron. We just started courting and his dad was a local hero. He was part of the famous Cockney double act, Caviar and Onion. Their famous songs, Oil Up the Clump Shaft, Tough Titty and Who's Hidden Henry's Cockle was often heard echoing out of the pubs in Canvey when I was growing up. And that night, he was doing one of his famous sing-alongs. I'd met Ron when he was a bouncer at the club The Gold Mine in Canvey. He knew what I was up to, Pockets full of purple hearts I had, bum bags full of cash. But he kept an eye out for me. Whenever there's any rough and tumble, he'd appear like a seagull at a chippy. To be honest with you, the first time I saw him, get a man in a headlock, oh my God, I was smitten. He asked me out on a date, I couldn't resist. He picked me up in his full cortina, wearing a roll neck. Honestly, I swooned. I thought it was Dagnum's answer to Bergerac. He bought me a corsage. It was awkward. I said, what is it? He said, it's a flower brooch. They wear it in the film Grease. I said, I can see it's a flower brooch, but we're going to a little chef on the A127, not a 1950s prom. I get in to the car and he pulls out a little gold tin from the glove compartment. He said, can I entrust you in a Simpkins travel suite for the journey? Oh, well, I couldn't hide the fact I was impressed. I could see that I gave him a little skip in his step and I found it adorable. He had the steak, obviously, and I had the ham, egg and chips and the knickerbocker glory for dessert. We laughed and chatted and I even agreed to let him take me to Peter Pan's playground at the weekend. Well, he got a bit excited after that, started showing off. 
and he tried to go down the dinosaur slide that they had in the garden. He's a big fella, he got stuck in the abdomen. An hour and a half it took for the fire brigade to get there. I was mortified. When they finally got there, they had to cut him out. It was like a scene from Jurassic Park crossed with one ball in every minute. Oh, he couldn't look me in the eye on the way home, especially as they had to cut his clothes off to get him out. Fortunately, I'd eaten all the travel sweets by then and had a little gold tin to save his modesty. As we pulled up to my house, he said, I've gotten a messed up, haven't I? I said, you know what, Ron? Tonight, I watched with a crowd of onlookers as the Brontosaurus gave birth to you by cesarean section. The sound of people cheering as your little pink body shot out across the car park when they finally set you free is a sound I'll never forget. I gave him a little peck on the cheek and I said, pick me up Saturday morning and let's see if you can make the next date as memorable as this one. And you know what? He did. And even though the years are shot past at the speed of knots, he still makes my belly fizz as much as those travel sweets in the glove compartment. And you know what? To this day, I still love his eyes. Those dagger and mine. You collect the coupons from the daily paper Tarnished only slightly by your Cadbury wafer Your milky coffee is forming a skin Go out and smoke her off and let the cold air in But I'm loving you I have no choice but to do Although you're making me mad So mad In a council flat, now we're in a yacht I moved on to Chinzano, but you still drink scotch Thrown in at the bottom, made our way to the top My world is on your shoulders, but you're still my rock And I'm loving you I have no choice but to do Although you're making me mad, so mad When it comes to being patient, well, I'll take off my hat. You've got too much front, but you've always got my back. When it comes to saying I love you, well, I never have. My heart's like cancer, Barry's flat, cold and stone clad. Thanks to my guest, Mark Gatiss. This has been Chatting with Chorley, the Cobb Pass, with me, Diane Chorley. The music you're hearing, that's written by me and Milky. The show is produced by Chris Jones, and this is a hat trick Cobb Pass. And then I see those eyes, those diagonal eyes that made me smile a million times. And as the whole world starts to disappear, well, there's a haven, a place I'm craving.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 